Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. It's called greed. Big-time greed. Our show just isn't big enough, Rum. We've got to take up more space. So we crept into the one o'clock hour. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Take our called? chances when we can, you know? Well, that's right. Somebody give us an opportunity. We got it, folks. Mm-hmm. We'll take that. Welcome to the program. Wherever you are listening in, appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, Ramya Muthan over there, Kelly McDonald here at my home studio in London. You are at main campus in Toronto at AMI. Yeah. Quiet around there? Yeah. It seems so, but I'm not going to lie. I didn't come here too, too early today, so I don't know who's here and who's not. Jeffrey was Jeffrey. saying, um, as he is, is uh, teching the program today, how warm it is. The, the interesting thing about that space uh, is you can go from one area to another and there'd be a temperature difference of five or six degrees mm-hmm. Celsius. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, when Brock and I were in the studio a month and a bit ago, sitting there, it was warm really warm and you get used to it in the studio till someone opens the door and then it's almost like old man winter just blows right in. and it's nice you like it but then someone else does the opposite thanks guys see you later and closes the door yeah it's uh there's construction and all these things going on right now anyway so it's just um unpredictable where you might feel cold and where you might feel hot so i always wear my jacket We've always had trouble in that space. Just It just always seems to vary, but uh, you, you're either cold or you're either hot, and the the building there has just always been that kind of uh, funny place for that. But I also find our laws over here, you know, not turning air conditioning off until the 15th of October, turning air conditioning on only the 15th of May. So either end of the spectrum, you mm-hmm. can have some very uncomfortable times if you live in a space where it's a shared uh, circumstance in the way of the building has to satisfy many people. That's true. So it kind of depends on what you want, right? If you want it cold, go in the kitchen. If you want it uh, sauna-like, go into wherever Dave Brown sits because <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I can't. Well, then your exposure, right? That side of the building, the sun comes in and it's just like, hello, I'm here. And you know I'm here because <laughs> look at you sweat. Drop by drop by drop. Let's see what's coming up today here on Kelly and Company, folks. Wellness contributor Francis Wong breaks down the popular Pilates workout and the benefits of that practice for us. We are checking in with the Canadian Ophthalmological Society about how academic success and maintaining good eye health is correlated and it should be a priority for us as kids are back in school now. Mm -hmm, For sure. On our woodworking chat today, Jeff Thompson is going to take us through installing wood flooring and covering affordable options for the job. There's going to be a lot there, folks. We'll talk to him about it in hour two right here on Kelly and Company. So here's one of those things that make you say, wow, economics, what is your reason for doing this? And for shame, uh, if this is at all correct, which unfortunately I I have to believe it is. Uh, Environment Commissioner uh, Jerry DeMarco says the federal government has is kind of biased against listing commercially valuable, valuable fish as needing protection. 
In a new audit today, DeMarco says Fisheries and Oceans Canada did not hesitate to put fish and other aquatic creatures on a list of species that need special protection as long as those creatures had no significant commercial value. But the department used a different rationale to not offer similar protection to fish that do have an economic value, including Atlantic cod, steelhead trout and some Chinook salmon. DeMarco says the department is valuing short-term economic considerations over long-term health of fish populations. Mia Rabson, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. Oh, nice list of fish, but not going to be around uh, as plentiful if we don't do the right steps. Do you ever feel like our government agencies seem that they can play outside the rules, the same rules or the unspoken rules or the game that should be played that they expect other countries to in adhering to, hey, the preservation and longevity of the species? Yeah, I mean, we don't do enough or I guess the more um, the, the the more recent way that I've been thinking about it is we continuously change the way that we think about it right so you know we read the Ristigouche River all about that in our last book of the month and what I genuinely took away from that is what we're living right now is just tiny tiny sliver of the puzzle and historically we have so much going on and then we're thinking about the future so much now because it's too late and it's too late for for all the things we haven't done uh for generations to consider you know climate awareness and environmental awareness right and so we're always you know wondering if we're doing enough but realistically the answer is that it's always changing is it a case that it's someone else's problem down the road or we'll work it out? Is that the honest belief when we figure, yeah, but we're making such money it's now. Postponed. Let's just keep hard. Exactly. Yes. Um, do we postpone because we'll figure it out later is the belief that these people have? Or, yeah, but that's, I won't be around. That'll be on Rumya's watch, not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad uh, and honest way that, you know, younger generations feel like everyone before them has not considered them and just put them into this hole of a problem and it keeps getting worse and worse. And, uh, you know, is there enough we can do about it at this point? Because there's so much that is being done that has to be undone. It's interesting you say the younger generation feels that way because I feel like that about the older generation. Some idiots didn't bother to look after this when they darn well knew mm-hmm. This was going to be a problem down the road. They just kept taking and taking and taking. Uh, This is an interesting item, ladies and gentlemen, talking about our online experiences and one you can have. Thrifters who flock to Goodwill can now actually do some real serious treasure hunting online as well. Goodwill, the 120-year-old nonprofit that operates 3,300 stores in the U.S. and Canada, has launched an online business as part of a newly incorporated venture called Goodwill Finds. The venture will help fund its community-based programs across the U.S., provide professional training, job placement, and youth mentorship. It should also increase donations while helping to expand its base of customers. Goodwillfinds.com has roughly 100,000 items online now, and much more will be added. Julie Walker, New York. Okay, so we give thumbs up on what it could do, especially for persons needing the supports for work um, in that sense, or mentorship. Okay, give thumbs up. Not exactly sure how that looks. We'll have to visit the website to see. Um, what do you think about the customer service aspect of it? 
Well, it's when things, platforms change, we always wonder, right, about yeah. the customer service, about the accessibility, about the ease mm-hmm. of access for anybody, to be honest. It's not even just from a disability perspective. Um, but, yeah, the customer service will feel very different. Um in well, we know how online. big buying things from if you know someone has an item on online, people going to check it out or hey, can I stop by and see that? I wouldn't mind buying that or I've been looking for that. I, I wonder how big this will get and how soon before um, you know Value Village and other places like that jump on board saying, "Hey, man, we've got lots of stuff. Kelly's looking for all sorts of fedoras. Let's roll them out online, right?" Um, I wonder. I think it'll be successful. I think so, too. And it'll definitely have a better reach, um, a wider reach, I would say, because you can explore that way, browse and scroll through and exactly what you're describing. Um, But it's fingers crossed that the access doesn't get eliminated or destroyed Mm -hmm. from the accessibility point of view. And I hope it really does also create the jobs. We know that many, many, a couple of years ago, I shouldn't say many years back, there were some problems with uh, places closing Goodwills and just issues like that at hand. Folks, we're going to take a a pretty serious turn coming up next on Ask a Vet. Dr. Danielle Johnkind gives us a crash course on pet poisoning. So please listen up. Return with us after the break. If you want to check things out with Accessible Media Inc. and you're a person who enjoys your Facebook time, well, like the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. You can check out all the activity, the conversation out there, the videos, everything that they put out there for your entertainment and mostly your knowledge. You can give AMI-audio a ring on Twitter, folks. Easy way to do it. At AMI Audio is the handle. You can see what's coming up on the live show here, what we've got segment to segment, and communicate, of course, with the other programs, including the podcast productions that come out of AMI Audio. That's on Twitter, handle at AMI Audio. And, of course, if you just have a question, feedback at AMI.ca. About AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or AMI-Audio, feedback at AMI.ca. Just toss them an email. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Well, Kels, we know that it's can be normal or at least you know called for that pets get into things that they shouldn't eat but sometimes it's an inconvenience other times it's a bit more serious let's Mm -hmm. talk about it with dr danielle johnkind the human animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives and as a veterinarian it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy i'm dr danielle johnkind and welcome to ask a veterinarian so inconvenience and a waste of a really good cake is if your dog gets into it first. <laughs> or pizza. Oh, or pizza. Or my burrito. But anyways, but other times it can be quite dangerous. There's a lot of things in our environment that can be poisonous to pets. And are poisons the same for all pets? What are some common things that we should watch out for? What should we do if we know or have reason to believe that our pet may have eaten something poisonous? These are the kinds of things we're going to explore today because Dr. Danielle is going to give us a crash course in pet poisonings. So, Danielle, the first question is, are poisons common in pets? 
Well, you know, in, in my experience, um, they are fairly common, um, but I would say that they seem to be more common in certain pets. So, for example, I, I see a lot more poisonings in dogs than I do in cats. Um, and of course, I see them more commonly in individuals that are the I'm going to get into everything type of personality. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we, we all have those types of, you know, dogs and sometimes cats that, you know, are extremely food motivated or they're just exceptionally curious or one of those things. And, you know, the, they, they seem to be as individuals more commonly poisoned than the ones who are a little more discerning about what they'll put in their mouth. <laughs> So, Danielle, do all species of animals have the same poisons in common? No, actually. Um, there are definitely species differences in the way animals metabolize different compounds in their environment. Um, for example, you know, there are differences between humans and animals and even differences between different species of pets, you know. For example, you know, humans and dogs can take acetaminophen, but it's highly, highly toxic to cats. They just don't have the enzymes they need to metabolize that stuff. Um, avocado can be toxic to birds, uh, farm animals and bunnies, but you know, it doesn't really bother us at all and only rarely causes problems in dogs and cats. So, you know, it, it's important that you know what not to leave lying around for the type of pet you have living with you because there really are differences there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, where can people find this reliable information on what's toxic and what's not for pets? Well, you know, if there's anything your pet might be exposed to in their environment that you aren't sure um, if it's safe, you know, you can certainly ask your veterinarian. Um, for people who like to look stuff up on the internet, um, there are some websites with verifiable, reliable information that, you know, I direct people to. Uh, so veterinarypartner.com um, has a searchable database of pet health topics and they're written and posted for lay people by the Veterinary Information Network. Um, so, you know, that's an online community of veterinarians. So I trust the information from that source. And there are two other fantastic resources um, specifically for, you know, toxic substances and toxic plants for pets. Um, so those are the ASPCA and the Pet Poison Helpline, you know, out of the U.S. And both of those maintain databases and websites with all kinds of great information on them. So yeah. that information gives you an idea of which species a particular toxin or a plant affects and how dangerous it might be. Um, both organizations offer a call-in service where you can phone a hotline to speak to their veterinary staff about possible toxicities. And there's a fee for that, but it's well worth it to get accurate, up-to-date information because there are literally so many possible toxins out there and so many species differences as to how animals respond to them. And really, no individual vet could memorize all of that information. Mm -hmm. So even... As a clinician, you know, if I run into something unusual, you know, I'll sometimes call them to get the information I need to treat my patient. Um, and as a pet owner, if you call them, they'll help you to triage how urgent this might be. They tell you whether or not you should call your vet and they give you a case number so your vet can call them to get the information as well. So all of that's really helpful. What a overwhelming, uh, not not obviously just for what a vet could, could retain, persons working the line, but there's just so many things that you would not even and innocently could get, uh, you know, the your pet or the pet could get themselves into trouble with without you even thinking, well, how would this bother my pet? Um, what are the most common poisons that these organizations get the call about? 
Well, actually, uh, Pet Poison Helpline um, lists their top 10 poisoning calls for dogs. Um, and those were uh, chocolate, go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rodenticides, which are poisons that people put out to kill rats and mice. Um, anti-inflammatory medications, so things like Advil and aspirin. Uh, sugar-free products containing xylitol, so things like chewing gum. Uh, grapes and raisins. Uh, antidepressant medications, Tylenol, uh, vitamin D overdose, believe it or not, Uh, ADD and ADHD medications, and finally fertilizers. You know, I don't know why dogs would eat fertilizer, but (laughs) it's in the top 10. Yeah, or if your dogs are digging around in the garden, I guess. Yeah. yeah, And that's... I guess to whatever they they smell within it would would interest I guess, but it's it's amazing when you think of how many of those obviously narcotics things that are very readily around people's homes. But even the, just the little thing of oh I dropped a grape and you know just knowing if oh I like the taste of that and if the, if a, a dog got into more of them there are just some of those things that I know we've always had what a, a the list that people always search out. But it it is kind of scary and there's lots of things that you know people will say oh they can't have this they can't and a lot of those things. That that I've heard uh, certainly weren't on that list you just read. So it's, I'm glad they've compiled that for people. Yeah. And, you know, um, a lot of the same things are on the top 10 list for cats, you right. know. Um, but uh, so, you know, but also adding flowers from the lily family. Lily flowers are extremely toxic to cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, flea and tick medications for dogs, which a lot of people don't know that those can be toxic to cats. So, you know, that's um, useful to know. Uh, cleaners. Um, essential oils, you know, would be another thing. So, you know, those are plus, you know, all the usual stuff, anti-inflammatories and medications and stuff like that. So definitely, um, you know, be aware that, uh, you know, cats definitely have their own sort of top 10 list, very commonly overlapping with dogs, but there are a few things that are specific to them too. So Danielle, I have a funny feeling that the answer to this next question is going to be, well, it depends, but how much of a poison... (laughs) How much of a poison should a pet eat or get into, you know, come into contact with before we should be worried? Well, you know, there's a lot of unknowns with this question and I and I feel like I must answer a lot of questions with mm-hmm. it depends. <laughs> But, you know, my (laughs) advice for this one would be, you know, if your pet eats any amount of anything you think might be dangerous, call for help right away. Um, Most compounds have a threshold above which the amount can be considered dangerous. Um, Some like lily flowers and cats have a very low threshold and others like poinsettia are somewhat higher. Um, We also have to consider the size of the pet and how much they ate relative to their size. Um, a Great Dane might have to eat a lot more of a toxic substance than a Chihuahua to get the same problems sure. from it. And, you know, some toxins are also more dangerous because in some forms they are more concentrated. And, you know, chocolate is a great example of this. So the darker the chocolate, the less it takes to cause problems. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily worry that much about a large breed dog, you know, hoovering down a few white chocolate chips, but I would worry a lot about a Yorkshire Terrier eating a few squares of jo- dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. So you know, that there's a lot of questions that um, that need to be answered. So, you know, my my feeling would be if, if you think your pet ate anything that might be dangerous, just call and make sure, you know, don't wait and see what happens. <laughs> so if you do have to call, what information should you have handy if we knew, do need to call because we think, oh, uh, our pet's gotten into something toxic? Well, you know, if you know exactly what it was that your pet got into, 
Um, that's really helpful. So a lot of times people will call and say, my cat got into one of my houseplants. And really that doesn't tell your vet or the pet poison control anything useful. So, I mean, if right. you have houseplants and you have pets, you know, make sure you know what plants are in your house and whether they might be toxic or not. And there are tons of plant identification apps out there now where you can take a picture of the plant and have your phone tell you what it is. Um, most houseplants come with some kind of ID tag on them when you buy them. Um, keep that information in a safe place in case you need it. That ASPCA website keeps a searchable database of common plants and their toxicity to animals on their website. So, you know, you can easily find out information there too. Um, for medications, pesticides, cleaners, food items like chocolate or gum, what have you, you know, have the product packaging or a prescription label handy. If your dog has chewed the packaging up, you can also look a lot of product labels up online. I've done that before, too. Right. Um, so, you know, you need to know the active ingredients in the product and the strength or concentration of them. And you should try and have some idea of how much they got into. For example, did they eat half the medication, a third of the chocolate, or the entire block of rat bait? Um, report the worst case scenario if you're not sure. And, you know, to know your pet's approximate weight is also helpful as that will help decide what dose of anything they might have ingested. Okay. So we want to know, because we know that accidents happen, do you have any tips on preventing our pets from getting accidentally poisoned. I mean, one thing I can think of is eat all your chocolate before your dog gets to it. And you're happy to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's something I, I, I would practice be on the regular. totally happy to help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you just for safety. It makes save sense. the dogs out there. You know, yeah. I would yeah. be totally yeah. happy to do that. Well, <laughs> and I'll, I'd use the excuse that, we're well, the darker person. chocolate is more healthy for us. So mm -hmm. we're good with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree 100%. But, you know, I think the biggest one is to know your pet, you know, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. You know, like some dogs are food motivated and are frantically diving for things that fall off the table. So, I mean, if you drop one of your medication pills on the floor and you know they'll beat you to it, hoover it down and then ask questions about what it was later, you know. Um, some pets are definitely more likely to get poisoned than others because of that type of personality and their individual motivations. So if you have one of those pets, you know, it's up to you to take extraordinary measures to keep them out of trouble. And the other thing, of course, you should know is your family. Like some people are far more likely to leave things laying around mm -hmm. or forget to make sure that doors are securely latched than others. And so dealing with these situations, you know, just make it as easy as possible possible to prevent bad stuff from happening so you can manage the circumstances so if you if i give you an example you might give your child their adhd medication after your food motivated dog is created for bed for the night <laughs> and that way the dog isn't around to eat it if they accidentally drop it on the floor before taking it um, another thought would be not to keep highly toxic plants in the house. Like I won't let anyone give me lilies and I won't bring them into my house and I don't plant them in my gardens because I'm terrified that my cat might eat them. Right. Um, you know, pet proof your pet's environment and, you know, don't bring them to places where they could get into stuff or lock them up for their own safety. A good example of that is the backyard summer barbecue. You know, knowing um, your food motivated dog is likely to steal stuff. You know, um, you might want to not have them, you know, just kind of wandering around left to their own devices while you're entertaining. You know, we know that guests leave things like corn cobs lying on plates on low tables. And the only person who won't be surprised that the dog ate those things will be you yeah right <laughs> so you know managing the circumstances can be really helpful 
Amazing. This has been uh, really, really helpful, and it does make us take a look at our cats and dogs and pets more closely. Thank you so much, Danielle. You're welcome. Dr. Danielle Johnkind joining us for Ask a Veterinarian, and today we're talking about pet poisonings. And she gave everyone more of an excuse to take care of that chocolate. Get it out of there, folks. Get it down. Wow. Coming up next, folks, wellness contributor Francis Wong joins us and going to break down the popular Pilates workout and the benefits of the practice. We'll talk to her in two minutes. Appreciate you being with us wherever you're listening in. Maybe you're at AMI.ca where you can stream AMI-audio right from the website. Tune in radio, OOTunes, a couple of apps. They're awesome if you put them on your smart device. Always a pleasure to have you on board listening to the live show or one of the repeats, 10 p.m. Eastern or 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, <laughs> you know, when uh, Danielle was going down that list... And it was such a, a a variety of a list and a lot of things, especially the medications, obviously make sense. It's those little tricky things like the raisins and grapes mm-hmm. that really just throw me off whenever I hear that uh, when it comes to cats, dogs, or pets of any kind, birds. Uh, it was really interesting. I had the opposite reaction. Some of these things you mentioned like xylitol, chocolate, raisins, and uh, grapes are familiar to me, but I never would think the most calls are being made about medication you know, human medication being left out. It, and it's, well, that I would because just like you, like she was talking about dropping a pill, yes, it's so yes. easy to do. But I think it's how do you keep track for all pets? What mm-hmm. is going to do it? What could do it? How quickly? And, and you want to have that number as you would for, for kids or any emergency numbers. Like they always say, have them handy. You include that number. So, wow. Or, or website to go and do a check. Folks, let's uh, step into the world of health and wellness with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. Francis, we know that you're a yoga instructor. You also practice Pilates and wanted to talk about this exercise today on the program. Uh, welcome back and tell us what is this exercise and why do you like it so much? Thanks, Kelly. Well, I believe it's important to do a variety of exercises so that we can work our body, muscles, and tissues in different and challenging ways. It's also a good way to keep boredom at bay and spice up our routines a bit. And I think that Pilates is a great complement to yoga because of the way the exercises have been created and the purpose and intent behind these exercises. I really enjoy the fact that some of these exercises may look really simple, but they're deceiving. And if done incorrectly, can feel like they're really easy. And then if they're done correctly, can be really difficult to master. Wow. Okay, I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, what's the history of Pilates? Um, yeah, so let's um, start with what Pilates actually is, because I've just talked about the exercises without going into details about them. So um I'm going to put you guys on the spot and ask you, what do you guys think of when someone mentions Pilates? And it's totally okay if you don't know, because I knew so little about pickleball other than it having a funny name. So. <laughs> I think of planks. Um, 
I think more closer to yoga, but different. And and I think of like holding positions. more. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess so, but more of a more probably a group thing and standing. And what I guess I would not say calisthenics, but more of the stretches and stuff like that. Mm. But I have no okay. idea. I still think of planks. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. There's definitely planking in there. So, yeah, yeah because, yeah, uh, one of the things, uh, one of the ideas that I think a lot of people think of um, with Pilates is it's core work and planking is core work and working on the posture. And it is that, but it's not just that. Okay. In a way, it is similar to yoga, like Kelly said, um, in that you're working to strengthen the body, but also to elongate and restore the body to balance through a variety of different exercises. Pilates is named after Joseph Pilates, a German who opened the first body conditioning gym in the 1920s in New York City. In actual fact, it was called Controlology, and it wasn't called Pilates until after his death in 1967. Not much is known about Joseph's early life, other than he suffered from a lot of childhood illnesses like asthma and rickets, and he worked hard at becoming a gymnast, diver, and skier in an attempt to manage these ailments. So he ended up in England being a circus performer, boxer, and self-defense instructor. And during World War I, he was interned with other German nationals. And during this time, he taught and refined physical fitness with his interns. So later on in the war, he worked as a hospital assistant. And during that time, he was helping patients who were unable to walk by attaching bed springs to the hospital beds to help support the limbs of the patients. And this became part of the future equipment at his studio, which was run with the help of his wife, Clara. While the focus of these exercises were surrounded by rehabilitation, dancers were the main clientele because of the ability to improve technique and to recover from injury. Mm -hmm. So here's a quick fun fact. What percentage would you guess the clientele to be split between women and men? Oh, mm. dancers, mm. uh, 60-40, women? Yeah, I think, I think, I want to almost say 50-50. Okay, well, Ramya, you got the numbers right, but then uh, gender wrong. Okay. The clientele ah. was actually 60% men, which is quite the opposite of what I see today when I attend classes, where it's almost 100% women, or there may be the occasional guy in the class. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, okay, so... You did mention the bed springs, uh, you know, the springs to the to the beds and stuff like that. What equipment is used today? Right. So most places that offer Pilates refer to mat work. So exercises are done on a mat similar to a yoga mat, but the mat is usually thicker. You can find these classes in gyms or they can be done at home or in the office because you don't need any expensive pieces of equipment. It's also the more economical choice for people as these classes are usually a lot less expensive than equipment classes. And it's also a great thing to do as we start to move into, I know it's still warm, but as soon as we start moving into colder weather and we're indoors, it's a great thing to do indoors. Mm-hmm. So a reformer is a machine that sits about a foot raised off the floor. There's a surface called a carriage that you lie down on and you rest your feet on the foot bar. The flat surface is on rollers and it slides up and down this bed-like frame. And you do exercises where you're pressing your carriage out away from the foot bar. And just like how Joseph used bed springs in the hospitals, these reformers have springs as well. So you can adjust how many springs are attached and that will change the resistance that your body is working against. So there are also straps that can be used for arm and leg exercises. 
these machines can look a little intimidating at first, and they're expensive, usually a couple thousand dollars to start. So only dedicated Pilates studios or private clubs will offer reformer classes or private one-on-ones. And then there's a couple of other apparatus that can be found in Pilates studios, but it's less common as the more equipment there is, obviously, the more space is needed. There's something called a chair, a barrel, and a Cadillac. Okay. Wow, there's a lot going on in Pilates than I realized. So other than people who are doing rehab, who else is Pilates good for? Okay, so you know how we talked about pickleball being great for anyone at any Mm -hmm. age? Yeah, so the same can be said for Pilates because you don't need to be super fit to begin with. In fact, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Pilates was developed for people who are injured. So you know that these exercises can be geared to your specific needs, and then you can work up towards more challenging exercises as your body gets stronger. Um, even celebrities practice Pilates. People like Haley Bieber and Kendall Jenner are known to do Pilates as well as athletes like basketball player LeBron James and hockey player Lee Stempniak. Royals Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle incorporate Pilates into their exercise routines as well. The Pilates Foundation in the UK lists many benefits of Pilates, including improving your posture, health, and overall fitness, challenge your athletic ability, and rehabilitate after injury, surgery, or illness, such as sports injuries, spinal conditions, and disc issues, hip and knee replacement, arthritis, joint issues, and back pain, among other things. And I'm not saying that you need to be injured to practice, but it can cover a wide range of um, conditions. So even if you're in great shape, as I just mentioned, you know, sports um, athletes also participate just to up their their athleticism sure. mm-hmm. and i've heard of that so much in the the recovery area and of course like you say the, the the athletes but then it makes you stop especially if you see some some people talking about it uh like like a lebron james or or so on how come pilates pilates is not as popular as other fitness activities well i have my theories on this and one of the reasons is that pilates is not really a fitness activity that produces quick results And we know that people today are short on time and want to see or feel the results very shortly after they've done the workouts. So this comedian I was listening to was giving an example that when you're a jogger, how many miles do you have to run before getting a runner's high? And he says, nobody knows because it's too many. (laughs) But if you equate skipping to running, you start skipping right now and you feel the joy immediately. So... Uh, Pilates is a slow workout meant for building a strong foundation, and people aren't going to see this overnight. It requires a lot of dedication and is a low-impact activity. You can sweat in a Pilates class if you're working super hard on a particular exercise, but it's not the same as doing a HIIT class or a cardio class. Mm -hmm. Also, Pilates is not a cheap activity to do, especially if you're taking reformer machine classes. Unless you're attending a mat class at the Y or a club where it's included, you can expect to pay anywhere from 25 to 45 and up for a drop-in reformer machine class at a studio. So let's go back to the comparison to yoga because, you know, especially the the rehab, the kind of slower pace, um, it does feel like it, it reminds me of yoga, but how is it different or similar to it? Well, that's a great question, Ramya. Um, I think there can be some confusion, especially for people who just have a vague notion of what yoga is. 
they're both low impact and can be done with just a mat. And both are, you know, around 45 minutes to an hour long. So I can see how it can be easy for people to think that they're very similar. And for mat classes, some instructors will throw in moves from both disciplines. And I'll admit I do that in my yoga classes sometimes because yoga doesn't focus as much on the core as Pilates does. In fact, there are some actual classes called yoga lattes or um, payo, which is specifically a yoga and Pilates fusion class. You knew that that was common, right? Yeah, yes, for yeah. sure. So, but there's definitely differences between the two. One is the approach. With yoga, the focus is on the breath and connecting the mind to the body and feeling sensations of the poses. With Pilates, there's a lot more conscious effort in focusing your attention to the specific muscles as you move through each exercise. We know that Pilates has been around for about 100 years, whereas yoga has a much longer and richer tradition and history. And while Pilates has a lot of exercises, there is definitely more variety of movement in yoga. Both um, complement each other, but note that Pilates, like I said earlier, doesn't really give you that cardio workout, so you'll want to do other types of fitness if you want to be more well-rounded. And just like anything else, if you decide to try out a Pilates class, check on the instructor or studio their certification to make sure that the instructor has been properly trained so that you don't get injured while practicing. And if you have specific injuries that you're working with, be sure to let the instructor know ahead of class. If you're curious about mat Pilates, there's a lot of YouTube video classes that you can try, but I do recommend going to an actual studio to have proper guidance. If you have questions or concerns about whether Pilates is suitable for you, consult with your doctor or speak to a few studios to see how they can work with you. Pilates and yoga studios are growing uh, are growing market with a global projection of 215 million by 2025 mm -hmm. and more than 12 million people practicing worldwide. There is definitely a reason that this is gaining popularity, so it's worth checking out for yourself. Yeah. It, it's very interesting because it's so cool when you talk about what one does for you, what another thing does, and kind of finding what works for you, what helps you, and having the right mindset of just taking care of the body, not necessarily looking, oh, I'm sweating now, that's great, um, but noting that with these, you do other workouts, you do other things, and making sure you have that time that you're willing to dedicate to your body is key, isn't it? Mm -hmm, absolutely. You got to take care of it now. Or you're going to be taking care of it later. In a not, uh, in some kind of way that may not be as nice and rewarding. Thanks a lot, Francis. You're welcome. Francis Wong joins us bi-weekly here on Kelly and Company to talk wellness opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Karanchis that we'll do next week on the program. So please join uh, both great conversations right here. Coming up, We've got a, a, an important and interesting conversation to have. We're going to chat with the Canadian Ophthalmological Society about how academic su success and maintaining good eye health, it should be a priority as kids are back in school. So stick around. We'll get into that just after this. Welcome back 
Kelly and Company. And if you want to check out the podcast, maybe you can't be here for the live show. That's all right. We don't mind that. If you've got a podcast in which you can catch up on episodes of Kelly and Company, you can do by listening to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we toss on an audio vanity card and the on the end of the full show. And whatever else we can throw in there, we do. But it's the complete show itself. Maybe you don't have time for that. Maybe you have that favorite contributor that you just want to go back and check out. Well, you can do that as well by listening to the feed of the podcast and picking out the segment that you want to hear. Just uh, browse through and say, oh, yeah, I-, I missed part of that one. I'll just listen to that again and catch up. That's the Kelly and Company podcast available to you, whether it's in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Kelly McDonald here with Bramyamuthan. Well, we're talking about some eye health. We've been doing this throughout September now. It's seeping into October because, you know what, it's still uh, back to school time around. And August, actually, going back into the summer, marked Children's Eye Health and Safety Month. So we're going to talk about how academic success and maintaining good eye health should be a priority of ours as kids are back in school and to learn more about the context around this is uh joining us is dr phil hooper president of the canadian ophthalmological society dr hooper thank you for coming back on kelly and company thank you for having me so according to a research survey we're going to throw a lot of stats out at people according to a recent survey by the um, Canadian Ophthalmological Society, COS, they, 45% of Canadians believe too much screen time can cause myopia, also known as nearsightedness, in children and adults. So can you explain um, the belief and, you know, the, the truth of that fact? It's certainly partially true. Um, in adults, the eye has developed, and so too much screen time may give you eye fatigue and eye strain, but it's not going to change the uh, uh, the length of the eye and give you nearsightedness. But in children where the eye is developing, there are increasing studies that suggest too much near work of any kind can lead to abnormal lengthening of the eye and nearsightedness. So it's really interesting because this feels like, uh, you know, nostalgic to my childhood, always hearing um, as I have low vision and, and inherited eye condition. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when you're younger, parents and people of all kinds, you know, don't sit so close to the TV. Don't be on your phone so much. All this is going to result in uh, making your vision worse, which is not I always had my doubts, but it's just something that people seem to believe kind of old school, right? Um, but it, interesting to to hear the truth of what uh, what is true in that belief. Um, moving on to another stat, 83% of respondents believe that prolonged screen time is harmful to their children's eye health. So is this a true understanding? Again, uh, prolonged near work screen time being one thing uh, can lead to the lengthening eye, as I've discussed. It leads to eye fatigue as well. And, uh, you know, a healthy rule is that for every 20 minutes you spend on the screen, you need to spend at least 20 seconds looking off in the distance. And so uh, for children, it's important to intersperse screen time with outdoor activities or activities where they're not looking uh, at things in close proximity in order to uh, uh, allow the eye to develop normally. Mm-hmm. And this part, I think, is what the issue is, or at least one big part of the issue. It's that children are spending a lot more time on screens, right? Um, 1.2 hours more on screens 
than they did prior to the pandemic. Screens are seemingly the only things we're on majority of the day. So how problematic is it and how much of that advice and suggestion of you know letting your eyes rest looking into the distance how much of that are we following like are we able to practice that with our routines um i would think it's a it's a habit that needs to be learned by most people including children it isn't uh, something that i think most people think about they uh, use the screen until they're done whatever it is they're doing right or their eyes get tired. Um, so yes, I think it needs to be a learned behavior. Well, the so much of it is, um, you know, do we build in our breaks, right? Not just for for our eyes, but in general for our physical health and getting up and moving in an hour. You know, how much of that are we doing, and are we building it in consciously, or are we just like you said, wait till we're done doing the task that we need to do, or if there's no time, uh, the tasks just keep going and going and going. Um, so it's interesting. But do you find that the conversations are helpful? I think so. I think particularly, um, now I'm speaking a little more in an adult context, but uh, when somebody comes in complaining of uh, irritated eyes, burning eyes, red eyes, uh, it's often useful to talk about, well, how do you use your eyes? What are you doing? And where do you notice these things? Because quite often it occurs after prolonged periods of close work or or screen time. And when you know, you're having these follow-up with people uh, on how much they're using their eyes and what they're using their eyes for. Uh, can you, you know, do, do, do people, are people more curious about what you have to say about screen time or is there a lot of, yeah, okay, we'll see, and then, you know, go back to your own routines? Um, no, I think people... Um, Often when you tell them the the situation and how this may be contributing to their problem, many people sort of say, yeah, I kind of wondered if that was the case. And uh, so they generally are receptive to um, techniques and, and tricks of the trade, so to speak, to try to um, limit eye strain. Dr. Hooper, I'm kind of curious on the subject of with kids back in school on sports teams, how important is it that they wear proper eye protection? I think this is one of those things that people really struggle with, you know, especially if something bothers you, you know, well, it inhibits. There's always so many reasons. Uh, it, it's more of a distraction. It's more of a problem um, versus the safety in that one chance something could happen. Exactly. And, and I think the thing that parents need to be aware of is that um, once you move into the active childhood stage, uh, you know, age five and on, the biggest uh, cause of vision loss or um, uh, issues developing with respect to sight is actually eye injuries. And every sport is a little different. The eye protection required depends on on the sport and, and what's happening. Um, I agree there's a stigma. Um, my child played soccer throughout her uh, um, formative years and it was always a bit of a challenge to uh, uh, encourage eye eye protection during it but um, it only takes one injury to to really change things. Very much so and it does happen so quick but I would also imagine that we have to think about 
just overall awareness and being careful. And I, I, it always seemed funny as a person who's vision impaired as a kid. I remember, you know, my parents saying, oh, watch eyes there, guys. Be careful. You're it being a concern. And maybe it was more of a concern for them because they had a blind child. But I also understand so many accidents happen messing around, throwing snowballs, throwing, doing this and that, jo- uh, someone not paying attention and bumping their head or, or their eye on something. And I'm kind of curious, as we talk about sports, there's a lot of those other types of accidents that must come into and, and probably at a higher number than we think. Yes, um, that would certainly uh, home um, or home-related injuries are, are certainly second to sports. Um, harder to protect for because, as you say, they come out of the blue. Right. Uh, I think it requires uh, the parents to be vigilant in terms of obstacles, tripping, falls, uh, um, and and just what the children are playing with, pencils and so on, can be a uh, a real problem um, in the hands of a child that's not attentive to what they're doing. And I know we, you know, we're not going to talk about what proper eyewear you should wear around to get down to breakfast or anything like that. But when we are talking about proper eye protection, maybe for the sports going back there, uh, what what is the best stuff? What what things should we think about, or what should we consider? It it all depends on the sport. Um, and the velocity and the size of the projectile that's uh, potentially going to injure the eye. Uh, in hockey, you need a you need a visor because the object is going very quickly and uh, uh, is very hard. Um, in things like soccer, it's more uh, something to prevent the ball impacting the eye. So um, the uh, actual uh, device really depends on the sport being played. And of course, as we talked about, you don't want something that makes someone feel that they're compromised and it it makes things worse. But on the same token, uh, worse could be a lot worse. Yes. Where can we go? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and hopefully as coaches and and, uh, people involved in amateur sport uh, become more aware of this, um, that more children will be wearing these and it won't be quite as uh, stigmatizing as uh, as it may have been in the past. Yeah. You just hope that, you know, anyone who says, well, what do you got that on for? Come on, nothing's going to happen. Uh, that person, child says, yeah, I'm just making sure nothing happens. Where can we go get a little bit more information and learn more about some of the things we've talked about? Um, the place to start, I think, is uh, the website, seethepossibilities.ca. Um, it has good links, and, and then there are um, other links that uh, can be uh, found through there in terms of safety standards and recommended eyewear for the various sports. Amazing. And do you uh, have any other final thoughts before we let you go on You know how people can get this education or the kinds of things that we can pay attention to starting today? I think you just need to uh, be mindful of your eyes. They they are important, and uh, um, we need to take them a little less for granted. That was another thing that came out of the survey is that although people are aware of their eyes and the importance, we still tend to take them for granted and uh, don't get eye examinations as often as we should. So uh, I think that's just something to keep in mind. Absolutely. Dr. Hooper, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.
Dr. Phil Hooper is the president of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, talking to us about uh, the correlation between academic success and maintaining good eye health, and it should be a priority as kids are back in school, even when we're thinking about these sports teams. You betcha. Everything. Just, uh, I think, take don't take for granted, and we all do that a little too much with too many things. Yep. Uh, for example, I'll tell you something you can take for granted. We're back for another hour of Kelly and Company, and in that hour, let's get back in touch with our friends from W. Ross McDonald School in Brantford. We meet new students in the communications program. On our woodworking chat, Jeff Thompson takes us through installing wood flooring and covers affordable options for that job. But up next, the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona in Nova Scotia has resulted in much community and organizational support. Community reporter... Julie Martin tells us a lot more after this. One hour of the program down, folks, but lots more content headed your way. It's Kelly and Company. Ramya Muthan, my co-host, she's at the Toronto Studios, actually in studio today on main campus. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. Wonderful to have you wherever you're listening in with us on the program today. Well, Ramya, we've uh, often got caught, you know, we start the show, doesn't mean anything to somebody in, in Edmonton who's saying, mm. well, it's not a nice day here. But of late... Weather has really been a source of conversation, and it's going to be a little bit in this segment, too. On Mondays and Tuesdays, we visit with our community reporters, and we like to find out what's going on in their areas. And unfortunately, sometimes you got to talk about things that blow into town uh, in more ways than one. We welcome our community reporter from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Uh, Julie Martin joins us. Uh, Julie, a, a lot going on. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you I very want, much. want to get into yeah, the personal not. experience that you've had out there dealing with Fiona uh, as the hurricane came into into the province and affected our our four Atlantic provinces uh, immensely. Sure did. Um, you know, they say rumor is just sorry. Knowledge is just rumor until you experience it, mm. and I have never experienced anything like that in my life. I was terrified um it's one thing seeing it on tv and it's one thing watching the movies and but i i mean i I, i'm at a loss for words the devastation is just phenomenal yeah we're we're seeing that we're we're seeing what devastation is on the east coast what's in florida and we've heard audio of the storms and from my understanding from anyone who's gone through this that doesn't even remotely, remotely give you any idea. So can well, can you describe what you heard? It was it was the power of it, and it was you could hear um, branches falling and all the rest of it. And then there was one tree on the um, northeast corner of our property, um, a big maple tree that completely uprooted, and it fell on the neighbor's house. Oh and my that gosh. was about three o'clock in the morning, and that was it. I was in the basement under the stairs. I was wow. absolutely petrified. I mean, it was, everything's dark. The power's gone out. The power went out at 8.30 at night. Um, it, it just, 
I'm I'm scared of the dark. As strange as that sounds, coming from somebody with sight loss, I'm scared of the dark. There's all these noises. We've got these huge trees all around. So, I mean, I'm already dead and in my coffin before the storm's over. That's what's going to happen. And it just, even the next day, because it was still like, we wouldn't let the animals outside. It was so strong. Um, And and it just lifts trees like they're matchsticks. And then the water, the flooding, because the, you know, the, they lost so many um, sand dunes, which is just terrible. Mm. The coastline, um, all the fishing boats that went and the wharfs and it, people's homes completely destroyed. Yeah. Their livelihoods completely gone. And the cleanup, I mean, I think we have about 700 soldiers the crews that came in our yard to fix the packed-down power lines were from Quebec. Mm-hmm. I know these crews from Vermont. So we're getting lots of support. Um, I have to say the support within the community and the immediate support. There was um, the local um, Mennonite church on Sunday had eight crews going around the county, um, knocking on people's doors that they knew did not have the ability to fix the shingles on the roof and uh, were just doing it as volunteers. And then by Tuesday, they had 200 people on the waiting list. Um, I, I, I don't know how to... We were 94 and a half hours without power I have friends, he's my blind husband and his real wife. Um, they aren't expected to get power until Sunday. So, Man. you know, yeah. it's all your so, freezer and your fridge, I mean, it's completely exactly. gone. And yeah. yeah, everything gets thrown out. Um, and, and, and Julie, you talk about the damage, just unbelievable. The lives change. Oh. Soil so saturated that trees are lifted up almost like a hand, invisible hand comes along, just slaps them down from what my what I, my understanding of descriptions. I know when we had the tornadoes yeah. go through London here, they said that people said, why are the roots and everything pulled right up? Mm-hmm. And they said, because there's nothing to hold them. The soil is so saturated, there's nothing. So yeah. the wind catches it and lifts it up like yeah. you're losing an umbrella. And the the thing that um, intensified our damage was that we have so many leaves left on the trees, mm. but they haven't even started to change color. Right. So, uh, if I can, oh, we're getting a little audio noise from you, Julia. Hang on, I think Jeffy will see if he can sort that out with you. Um, the the part that um makes me really wonder is, you know, Kels, everybody's, uh, I think, Julie, are you back? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can. It was just a little feedback, so... Sorry, I didn't realize you'd lost me, sorry. Uh, That's okay, we were just, uh, I was just saying that, you know, that moment when you have to get yourself from the basement and out there to assess... Yes, to assess the damage is probably the moment that was the hardest for so many people 
Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine looking at that and coming out, like you said, Julie, out of the dark, the whatever, and people just seeing what they saw and looking and everywhere around you, you turn and it's, it's destruction. I couldn't comprehend and wonder, wonder how long before life is normal. Well, life is never going to be normal because if we were all normal, it'd be really boring, wouldn't mm. it? So true, but, so true. Um, but we could we could do without some of this kind of thing. Yeah. I was amazed about every single window. I have 21 windows in the house. Every spacing exposure window was plastered with tiny little mountain ash leaves. It was crazy. Mm. It was a weird thing looking out. And then you're looking out and the tree that was there isn't there anymore. And it it was discombobulating. Yeah. But the community support, though, like, you know, the the volunteering you just mentioned and every other type of initiative that's going on, we have more to talk about tomorrow with Ryan in Halifax. But there's just a lot of that, you know, hang on, let's help. Yes. People were, you know, I've got a barbecue, it's fine, come cut your meat, you know, don't let it go bad. People in apartments that don't have barbecues, you know, we had six apartments on one of our, on our street, people were coming over and barbecuing and then other guys were rolling their generators up to people's houses that don't have generators and plugging it in for a couple of hours. And I mean, the community spirit is phenomenal. It always is in Nova Scotia, but mm-hmm. it just, it's above and beyond, absolutely above and beyond. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Not that it's lovely that it happened. No. But, you know. Is it a Red Cross that's also doing a lot of stuff, making sure that people know they're available? Yes, so Red Cross, if you are displaced, Red Cross are the people to contact. Um, If you call 211, they can give you any information you need. The government has some assistance. It's $100 per household for food loss if you had power out for more than 48 hours and $250 towards cleanup. Um, Unfortunately, like... You know, it was $1,600 to get rid of the trees in our yard and it had to be done by an arborist, which I didn't realize. Yeah. So I won't be able to claim that 250 but um, there is some assistance out there for sure. And what I want to mention real quick is a lot of seniors don't have house insurance because they own their homes outright and it's a cost they don't, they can do without um, even if you don't have house insurance, please um, apply for the government assistance because it covers things that would not have been covered on your insurance. Right. So that's a big thing for people to remember. Yeah, it's really horrible when you hear that certain things such as flood water damage, like these things that, oh, no, insurance doesn't cover that, even if you had it. No. Yeah, well, and especially something in an area where that's going to happen. I, I can understand, you know, if you said here in Ontario, hurricane flood water, you know, is not going to be covered yeah. if the insurance companies pulled that. Um, but you, you, they got to stop on this. Well, it's an act of or it's you choose to live there and yeah. in that area. Um, Julie, with that what everybody's experienced, and I know people who've lived out east for a long time, 
have experienced some types of storms like this, but briefly, what would you say really, really for people is the takeaway for, for the next time? And unfortunately, there'll be a next time. Will be a next time. Um, just be as prepared as you can be, um, and make sure you know where the comfort centers are before the power goes out. You know, so you know the comfort center, like even Walmart opened up huge rooms so people could go in and get coffee and plug phones in. And but just make sure you know where to go for safety and and take shelter like don't mm-hmm. yeah it, don't wait it, it out where you could be vulnerable tell you yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah anything the experts tell you believe them do what they say right yeah. right you know yeah. julie thank you thank yeah. you we're glad you're safe we our thoughts are with mm-hmm. everybody out there that have so much to go through still and have and that terror that they that everybody lived through um we'll talk to you next month Thank you. Stay safe, guys. Bye. You too. In Pictou County, Nova Scotia, our community reporter, Julie Martin, joining us, sharing with us the experience of going through Hurricane Fiona. We're going to take a couple of moments here, and when we return, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get back in touch with our friends from W. Ross McDonald School. We're going to meet some students, the new ones particularly. We want to talk to everybody, but some new ones in the communications class. Hope you can uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, if you're in Canada, check our show out from your TV. Listen in on Compton, Channel 88, and Kojiko, Ontario, Channel 596. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And finally, we're back with our friends from W. Ross. I say this because they've taken a couple months off you know, summer break and all. I don't know anything about summer break, but, you know, that's stuff that people yeah, in high school do. you keep dreaming do. about having yeah. it. You keep on. You know what I mean? It's only been it's about, fine. what, five years for you? Uh, so keep dreaming. Jeez, it's been a long time, more than five years, it feels. But anyway, uh, when they're finally joining us back on the first Tuesday of the month, this is our chance to kind of check in with them, uh, specifically the students in the communications program with Miss Kayla Gillen. And... It's going to be a fun catch-up. We have some new people. School's back on, so there's lots of new stuff to talk about. Hello, everybody. Hi. Okay, so we have five of you here with us today. Uh, Abby, Walker, Colin, Connor, and Dylan. I believe that all of you guys are here, so I'm excited to talk to you. Let's start with Abby. Uh, Abby, how are you? You? Good, thank you. Are you new to W. Ross is what I hear? No, brand new. Brand new. Okay, nice. So you're taking communications. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to take communications? So when I first started, I didn't have a course schedule. And I got put in this course. And that actually ended up really well since I, I grew up listening to the radio and listening to broadcasts from CBC Radio. So. Nice. Very nice. So, Very nice. So a radio fan, mm-hmm. uh, what, what component of radio do you love the most? I, 
I tend to um like there used to be this alternative show on um on CBC Radio Two that I used to listen to late at night, awesome. and they played alternative music. So, all right, music is a good reason to listen to the radio. Uh, now, you think you're interested in more of the voice work stuff, or are you dabbling into creating some audios and producing script writing? really sure yet as i've never uh explored this area of, of uh, study okay well it's something to think about right i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to uh how you progress during the course um it's really kind of neat because you have the interest you suddenly get in a class it's like uh, you know what while yeah. i'm here uh walker how about you uh welcome and uh do you have an interest in in communications any part of the field particularly or again are you kind of just uh oh, check this thing out I'm just checking it out, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any any early impressions so far? Um, I've really kind of always wanted to do the morning show, so. Oh, very not nice. Too much, I guess. I don't know. So. Sorry. You'll get that practice doing the morning announcements there and having some fun with that. And then everybody later stopping you and saying, you know, it was funny when you said, oh, I didn't find it funny when you talked about that. So they'll, they'll, they'll be your biggest critics, you know. Yeah. Now, are you new to W. Ross or have you been at the school before? No, I've been here since 2016. 2016. Okay. So anything you're looking forward to? Is this your grade 12 year? What, uh, where are you at? Grade 11. Grade 11. Okay. So you're kind of... Thinking about, um, you know, final years at W. Ross as well. Yeah. Are there other courses that you're taking that you're excited about? Um, I'm taking auto mechanics, like auto shop. And cool. Taking- and the second one was? I'm taking auto mechanics and art. Art, okay. That, they're both fun. You know, auto mechanics, I I love taking it when I was at W. Ross. And art, of course, you get to pull out that creative side. Well, like you can do here. Mm-hmm. Checked out the auto shop while I was there in June. It was seemingly very nice. Was it's like, huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, Colin, you're also with us, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm here. Hey, Colin, how's it going? Pretty good. Good. So, why are you in communications? Well, because well, I thought it would be helping me with. I thought it would be good for me for my editing skills, since I of course have my own YouTube channel, very and then, nice. and then. This was before I, I, I guess, also probably learned about how this communications also has to do with like, has to do with like the announcements. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> Are you excited I, about I, that, when, or were you like, oh? When I did, and I remember when I did post when I was posting the announcements, I got a lot of positive feedback from people. Nice. Although people seem to, seem to like the sound of my voice. Yes, uh, it sounds like you're you've got some experience with that stuff. What do you? What is your YouTube channel about? Um, not nothing in particular. Just things that I, I haven't really thought about that far yet. Ah. Content I, I feel like would be nice. You'll get some great ideas um, taking a course like this and having some fun, and of course, getting feedback from your schoolmates. Yeah, it's right. It'll be cool. It's it's that kind of cool thing you can go around, you talk to people, and then when you do your YouTube page, you know, and 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 make your content, that'll really be fun to do the editing mm-hmm. and and learning how to do that kind of stuff. Because then you'll be able to put some creative stuff in, sound effects and things like that. So you you, you I think you'll have a ball. So far, the best editing I can do so far is just with my, it's just with iMovie on my iPad. 
Nice. I mean, that's more than I can do. So that's really yeah, good. good head start. And plus, we like playing um, what you guys create here on the show on Kelly and Company. So we can't wait to, to see how the editing and stuff goes. Okay. Great. That's, that's really cool. Uh, Connor, you hanging out there too? Want to jump in here and say hello? Yeah. Hello, say guys. How are you? Nice to have hey, you. Connor. Thank you. Nice for you guys to let me be here. So tell us about you and communications. Curious, is this something that you've been interested in, have a particular reason, and, and maybe are looking forward to doing a particular project? So I realized that I kind of like being on the morning announcements because in the last few years of me being at W. Ross, I've realized that uh, being on the announcements was something that I enjoyed. So I decided to take communications uh, as one of my courses because I it's helping with the morning announcements, getting to uh, pick the music for the morning show. And it's just, it's an amazing course. I love it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you can put as much into it as you want. I mean, obviously you got other studies to, to look at, but it's the kind of thing sometimes you find yourself, wow, I enjoy this. And, and you may find yourself spending a little more time than you think with it. Oh, for sure. Picking, the big learning experience. For sure. And picking the music, it just reminded me of like how much personality you get to hear from the morning show and from the announcements and all of this stuff. Uh, in past, we've played some of the morning announcement highlights and such uh, on the show. And it was just so fun because everybody brings their own style and vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really nice. Um, that sounds like you're, you're looking forward to some specific stuff. So excited oh, yeah. for you. Yeah. Also the projects, right? I think when you guys get to do cool little things and, and whether it's coming on here and, and giving us a, a contribution or just the neat things you get to do, again, as, as Remy was mentioning, really gets to, to get your feel out there and what you're about. And that's that's always fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Connor, is there any um, anything specific like uh, Colin was saying that you were interested in practicing, you know, editing skills, script writing, that kind of stuff? Well, it definitely, I've noticed that being on the morning announcements has even motivated me more because same like Colin said, I have my own YouTube channel and it just makes me feel a bit better because I kind of already have a bit experience of talking. So it's like hand in hand and it's like, I'm also really looking forward to just learning more and more that I didn't know. Like I've already learned a lot this year so far in communications about just how all the like all the rules and stuff you got to follow and then all the really cool stuff that you get to help out with mm-hmm. so it's yeah really amazing what what's also nice is with you guys doing so much and everybody starting to hear you you know they're going to start asking you to do uh, announcements for things, welcomes when you have groups, or the what, the play. You're going to be that person to say, yeah. well, introduce this, or introduce the choir, or the parents uh, are visiting, so we're doing a performance. To, you know, on celebration day, you get to do it. <laughs> so that'll be nice, yeah. too. Oh, for sure. And are you willing to tell us what your YouTube channel is about? Um, so I fly to W. Ross back and forth from home. So I uh, use my channel as to upload those plane videos. Oh, nice. Where nice. are you based? And sometimes I also uh, like do vlogs. Um, I'm based, well, I live in Cornwall, but I fly out of Ottawa. Okay. Nice. Uh, shouts to everybody in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. 
Dylan, I think you're the final member of the team today. How's it going? Uh, good, thank you. Awesome. All right, Dylan. Well, maybe let's start there. Where are you based, and how long have you been at W Ross? I've I've been uh, in at W Ross for a few years. I'm in uh, in uh, I live in uh, Toronto. Okay, great. So no flying for you. Okay. <laughs> to W Ross. That's okay. All right. And and was there a specific reason why you wanted to pick communications this term? Well, it, um, just I I was just kind of curious. I just wanted to try it out i i've just been kind of just going around all the different kind of classes over these just kind of just 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 trying to figure out which like which ones i i i like and and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. it was just like mm, maybe maybe i'll like maybe i'll like communication so uh yep. I, yeah i just i want to try it out that, that's how i ended up in radio man just was like maybe i'll like this oh yeah my mom does it okay mm, that's okay. I had a whole bunch of classmates that, well, well, I really don't know what to take, so I'll mess around with this. <laughs> but it, you know what? It's nice to be able to explore, to see what you're kind of interested in, whether, you know, as we were talking before about art and mechanics and, and, and just there's so many different things that uh, you get the opportunity to do. And I think that's what it's all about. I, I think you'll probably really enjoy yourself, but is there another class that you're really curious about and already finding you, you, you are into? Um, yeah, um, I've, I've, I've one class I've really liked. I don't have it this year, but I've liked it, uh, several years as I've liked, uh, the woodshop, uh, class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very hands-on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and radio can feel very hands-on as well. Um, especially when you guys start practicing with the audio and, and all of that stuff and making your own um, announcements and stuff. Uh, I want to go back to, thanks for sharing, Dylan, and want to go back to the rest of you guys who we didn't get to find out where you guys are based. Abby? I'm based out of Ottawa. Okay, nice. And Walker? I'm from Hamilton. Hamilton and Colin? I'm from Toronto. Okay, so we got a lot of you guys in Ontario. Well, this is awesome, guys. Thank you so much for um, giving us a bit of an introduction. I'm sure we will, uh, you know, wrap back around and talk to you all, if not all of you, some of you, periodically at least once a month. And we're looking forward to hearing some of your projects and stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) take care. We'll talk to you in November, yeah? Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it so, definitely reminds me of school when you get the group thank yous. And oh, my goodness, goodbyes. yeah, because everybody's, <laughs> and also communications, they're all like, oh, well, we got to say something. You can't have dead air. They already know that rule. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we'll all talk at the same time. But, you know, it's interesting because there's so many things were mentioned there that you, you kind of connect all the same, working on something, whether it's um, auto shop, woodwork, or, or art and communications. There is a similarity, you know. Mm-hmm. And young people exploring different things, uh, different aspects, just stuff that they like, or maybe they don't know that they like it yet, but yeah. hopefully they will soon. I like that honesty. I yeah. don't know. Or, uh, well, why are you here? Well, because I have nowhere else to go. Sort of like you. <laughs> exactly. That's what I said. <laughs> That's what I said. Well, we had five students joining us today, a little bit of a get to know you, Abby Walker. Colin, Connor, and Dylan, and they will be back um, amongst other students on our monthly W. Ross check-in. That's on the first Tuesday of the month. We're back with them. I absolutely loved the mentioning of enjoying woodworking. 
Wow. Yeah. As a matter of fact, folks, awesome segue, coming up next on our woodworking chat, Jeff Thompson takes us through installing wood flooring and covers affordable options for the job. We'll speak to him after this. Discussing on the break the size of the classrooms, uh, well, sorry, classes at W. Ross, not the size of the classrooms, they're reasonable size, but uh, in my day at the school, uh, I, we, were, we were we considered a big class if we had nine in it, and, and yeah. once in a while you had a homeroom that had a few more people, but generally your individual classes, you'd still only have eight or nine. We were very privileged with the, the kind of attention we yes. could have for education, Ramya. Like, I mean, when you go to, when I went to Saunders here in London, whoa, he's 32, 35 mm-hmm. in a, a school with 2,500 people? Yikes. Yeah, that's really, really fun to hear about how small the classes were. It reminds me of our spec ed classes, right? If we were having to go into the spec ed room and uh, there's, you know, a couple other people there, but nothing like the 30 and 40 student classes. Um, on a regular basis. What's spec? Special ed. Special oh, okay. education. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's simple enough. I wonder how come I'm even hesitated thinking, I have a feeling you know what that is, Kelly. You do. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's really great. But it's so interesting when you talk, uh, you know, size uh, versus and you know, you do understand a lot of the overwhelming, especially if you never had been before, or even how underwhelming if you were in oh, um, yeah. mainstream and you went to a W. Rods. Hey, man, where, where <laughs> is everybody? Where's everybody else? What's going right. on here? All this space and there's hardly anybody here. Wow. <laughs> Folks, uh, once a month we get a chance, as we mentioned in the previous segment with the students, we get to talk a little woodworking. Let's welcome in Jeff Thompson. Let's talk wood. We're talking practical and safe woodworking. Hi, I'm Jeff Thompson. Welcome to the Woodpile. You know, I always play out those sound effects, man. It's Jeff's working away. Let's interrupt him. Hey, Jeff, welcome back. Hey, how you doing? Awesome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the topic today. Uh, I mean, last time we had a great topic, a lot of great information. Today, you're going to take us in that same kind of direction. We're going to talk about affordable wood flooring and of course the important thing about that is the installation so can we start jeff what is do-it-yourself wood flooring well some people call it floating wood flooring in other words it floats on top of a floor that's down below so it doesn't touch the outside edges of the wall in case it wants to expand so it's actually floating on top your other floor wow so that's interesting. Like when you when you say that to, does it help you with your confidence working on it? Because, I mean, you know, you're doing a lot of cutting, you're getting everything ready. Um, does that have any plus in the sense of, oops, made a mistake here. It's bulging. It's bubbling up here. Uh, th- th- does this help avoid some of that, especially if it's a first time being done? Well, I think the first time being done, it's a perfect job that you can explore experiment with it, you know, do go start with the 10 by 10 bedroom with one closet and do it over and over until you get it right before you head to the living room where the whole family will notice it every day. (laughs) Um, I say clear out the room, get going on it. And you only need a few tools to really get started on this. And I really think that 
once you get the hang of it, you know, once you get the first, second, third row going, it just kind of like uh, tinker toys or something. You just keep on working your way to the other side. Mm. And I, I think that well, what it does for the confidence on a project like this, I mean, it, if you've got a home, you're trying to improve upon it, and you're working at things like this, is this kind of one of those things as much as you say, well, it's a whole flooring job and blah, but it's the kind of thing that you start you start building confidence from that. And and is it easier to make that correction and make someone, uh, you know, be able to do that and feel confidence to take on the next project, which might be something else. I mean, other than painting a wall. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't like painting. Um, but, <laughs> the, but the floor thing is really nice because it's basically straight planks, cut the size, you interlock them, you work yourself away across the floor. Once you get that pattern down, you kind of keep on moving with it. And you you come across some obstacles, like there might be a little notch in the wall that sticks out two inches and then continues down. So you'll have to work around that. Then you might want to go into the closet seamlessly, but you can plan for that. Take a 10-foot uh, span of a floor, 10 by 10, if it's eight inches, there's 15 pieces that'll perfectly work out that things don't always end up that way. You might end up with only an inch left. So if you start out with a board and cut it first so you can balance that. So when you get to the other side, so you have a substantial, nice piece to end with, that's better. So there's some math that has to go into this a little bit. Planks are usually four to six feet long. Right. And if your wall's 10 feet, that's, you know, you can... Balance it out so you don't want the seam always. You don't want to go six, then four, six, then four, six. Mm. You want to go six, four, then four, six, and then two, four, four. You know, something of that nature right? Uh, to break it up. Basically, if you have six, all your pieces are going to be six, except for the end pieces, where you start and where you end, left mm -hmm. to right. So it, it's just – but once you get past that, that thought process, it repeats, and you're, you're on your way. So what – do we need to consider like if we're thinking of installing a wood floor um what are the kinds of things like do we go to cost first and then you know the type of wood or type of floor we're looking for like is that where we start i would start in the traffic that's in that room if you're having a an entryway area you want a nice hard floor that'll t take on the wear and tear and then, of course, we want to start thinking, you know, stick within our budget. And that's where different types of woods come in. There's actual wood, floating wood floors that are actually laminated with real wood on the top and like a plywood on the bottom. Uh, this ain't real thick, 916s, half inch thick. But <clears throat> there's also engineered wood. And then there's vinyl wood. Um, I, I keep saying wood, but it makes it look like wood planks that you're installing. They interlock on the left and the right and on the long edge. So you kind of clip them into place. Uh, you angle it and then snap it down and they tap them into place. Uh, but your consideration is going to be the price. The more authentic, the real wood style is going to be more expensive. Um, there's a luxury vinyl that's real popular right now. That's expensive because it's popular and the demand is high right now. So there's lots of things. So I would say... Get the measurement of your room, go into your local uh, Home Depot or some store that sells the wood and tell them what kind of price range you're thinking of and find out where you would fall in and what they suggest. Mm. 
What, what about when you're considering doing your flooring, that, that room's use? What, what's going to go on in there? What's going to be put in there? Do you really think in this case, when we're talking this kind of project, do you think about that a lot or, or, or give it much thought or, or what? Honestly, when I did my, I did my whole basement and um, I went by price. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> Kelly style. Well, that, that's, that, that's important. It's really important. And because I was doing the job, I was going to save. Some people yeah. charge, you know, 3 to $7 a square foot. And you start adding that up, that 10 by 10 room times seven would be $700 to have someone do it. So I could actually add that to the quality of the wood if I wanted to upgrade it, you know, and spend the same. Or I could save that money and use something that works. Uh, the nice thing about a wood floor is once it's in, it can be removed. It's not like you're putting in a real wood floor that, right. you know, that takes a team. That takes a professional team to put that in. But, yeah, when, it, when you're talking about the traffic area, you want to ask them how this would wear. What is their experience with a wood that is in a high traffic, like a kitchen area or a front entry area where you're going to bring shoes in and boots and you know, all that type of traffic, that I would really ask them what they have found works best. Mm. It's really interesting. Go ahead. Oh, and, and they're going to have, you know, <laughs> they're salespeople. They're going to have, oh, then we go into this area, and they'll have seven different things to choose from and blah, 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 you know, so everyone's happy. So is it recommended for that person doing this maybe the first time to more go with, as you say, ask those questions, but go with, cheaper because of the potential of, oh, shoot, made a mistake here pulling it up. And, and like you said, you're, you're able to pull it up and fix it and, and just put it back down again if you've done something or something is kind of off in whatever way. If you have trouble like that, it, it is, again, sensible to do it more economically. I think instead of cheaper, I would say affordable. If you can afford something and try it in a small bedroom, Somewhere where you can get the experience, you'll yes. know which tools you're going to use. You're right. going to use a miter saw. You're going to use a little tapping mallet or something to tap them into place. It's nice to have a table saw handy if you have to rip them. Some of these are, you can score them and snap them. Hmm. I don't know. I, I haven't done that yet, but I, since I do have a table saw, I can go out there. But you can score it with a sharp razor blade, a box cutter type of thing, and then snap it. Um, for length, but it's one of those things you're going to learn how to do it. Like if I'm working across a, a I'm going to just use this 10 foot wall uh, floor and go across, I go six and then four because I cut off two feet. I can use that two on the back half of the wall when I get to that side because it'll go on the opposite side. So it's like use your resources. You're not going to be wasting this. So affordability and it's going to be your first three rows. That's going to, that's where all your waste is going to come in because you're going to learn real quick what's working for you and what's not. And the neat thing about it is like putting a puzzle together. You know how people like to put the edges together first? Mm -hmm. Well, that first edge goes together first, then the second edge. But now the first edge is vulnerable because you're playing around with the second and then the third and then it all springs apart sometimes. It's So <laughs> what I did was I put dumbbells on the first two rows once I got them together to, just to give it some stability. But but it took me an right. hour to figure something out. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have enough people to come in and stand there and hold this in place. 
but yeah. But it's really neat because when you put that second row in, then the third row, and you know, you stay a quarter inch from the walls. So you got to remove your trim if you have quarter round around the base edge like that. And um, when you come to a door jam, really neat trick is to lay a piece right next to the door jam where the trim comes down and then do a flush saw, a little, I don't know if you've seen them, they're flat saws in a sense. You lay that right across that piece of wood and cut that little 916 off the bottom so you can slide your wood right underneath your trim of your door. So that's a neat little trick. So the the tools you were talking about, going back to them, um, anything that you didn't mention yet or do you want to specify what some of those tools would be used for? Well, the miter saw, you're going to cut your lengths off. So if you if you go six feet and you got four, then you got to cut two feet off of there. So you want to cut that off and snap it into place and cleaning up. Or if you try doing the uh, score and snap and it doesn't come out clean, you might want to clean that off. Um, a mallet you want to do because when you snap these into place, it's nice to have a little blocking board to set on the edge of it and tap them a little bit tighter, uh, get it more secure. Um you want a measuring device. Uh, I use a click ruler, which is a neat device we've talked about on a previous episode, and that gives me accurate measurements. But like I said, once you start doing that 6-4 and have two left over, then you're going to go 2-6-2. Two, two. I mean, that's going to be your pattern after a while. So you, you start getting into these setups that you're going to be using. Um, the other tools is probably when you get to your transition piece at the end, you might... Either use finishing nails and nail that down, and that would be like when you come to a doorway into the hallway where you uh, transition. You just don't want the edge of the wood sitting there. So Mm -hmm. they make these pieces that are tapered down so it transitions through the doorway right down so you you don't notice it very much. I always, you know, I think about it, it's like, Oh, certain like pieces of Lego. It's it's kind of like it's when you think of the logic of what you're doing and and what the the puzzle piece. If you want to, oh, I'm gonna get this done. What's this do? That like the transition piece, the, the doing the cut by the door. These are things that make the job uh, easier, sensible, and 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 look right. Um, so do we empty out the room and get started? What's the plan? Exactly. You get the room out and then you start doing your measurements. One thing you really want to make sure is. When you're starting on the wall, start on the wall opposite the closet because then you can work your way to the closet, plan that out so when your last piece comes up there, you don't have one inch. You know, if your boards are eight inches, you want to make it about a four so you can cut that, snap it down, and then have four of it start going into the closet there. And once you're in there, then you just finish it out and cut the last piece and snap that down. Then you go put your trim back on and all's well. And the other thing is it might be someone, it might be nice to have someone come in and take a look at the pieces because it might be a mix of pieces, like some maple looking darker and lighter. You don't want to put all the light here, then all the dark here. You want to do it helter skelter. You want to mix it up. So it's, it's nice to have some eyes on it and, you know, say, Oh, you got like three shades. We'll make three piles and draw from them Mm. randomly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just it's, so you have that. Yeah, the aesthetic is like a big part of it, right? With flooring, and I think that that's um, uh, really interesting. Anything about the closet, or back to the trims? Well, uh, the closet is going to be interesting because you're going to have a piece that is shaped like a like a flagpole and a flag on it, because part of it will go into the closet, and then you got to pick it up. 
from another piece that will go longer around the door trim. So it's interesting, and that's why they always say get 10% more than you need because stuff happens, and that's where you might want to put certain spots. You say, nope, the bed's going there, and that's for a reason. <laughs> that's where something happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not much can happen because you just get a different Lego piece, right? I mean, that's exactly right. it. Yeah, the clip. And, remember the old commercial? Tick, tick, tick. Um, what about template though, and, and everything like that? What when we're doing this work, a restoration on that door jam and the trims, and removing things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, say you cut your first three rows, or you you take your trim off and your door jam pieces and stuff, and you want to change it up because the floor color is totally different. Don't throw them away. Right. Use those. You can duplicate those pieces with new trim and you know the measurements. You just have to duplicate them. And, you know, if there's 45 cuts or if they're, uh, you know, certain lengths and stuff like that, you have all the templates to use to cut that stuff up. And that sure beats measuring and guessing. You can just use these and measure them, uh, lay them up against the board and cut the exact same size. Awesome, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, thanks a lot, man. Uh, great to talk about, great to think about, and a good project for people to, to kind of start, especially the, the the new homeowner. All right. Have a good one. Jeff Thompson joins us once a month here on the program. We talk woodworking with him and uh, always have a great time. We learn a lot. Next month, we're going to cover the benefits of finding that local lumber yard and the impact driver uh, or drill as you know it is. We'll step aside for a couple of moments here on Kelly and Company. And uh, what do we have ahead? Let's see. We'll tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's program. And we'll see what uh, the gang over on AMI-TV, now with Dave Brown, what they've got in store as Paul Daniel joins us. Hopefully you'll stick around and join us after the break. suggested earlier check out the kelly and company podcast folks subscribe using your favorite podcatcher there you can check out the show in segment form or the complete kelly and company podcast experience simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher all right with that being said Ramya, any particular segment you want to jump back to and remind people in case they didn't hear it all yeah, you know, our healthy um, eyes chat with president of the COS, the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, uh, Dr. Hoover, was really insightful because we talk about screen time a lot, but, you know, hearing it from him uh, in terms of what kind of things we need to start paying attention to. And he he demystified some of the myths as well, like, um, you know, too much screen time will result in nearsightedness. Well, there's some truth to that, but not necessarily, right? So I appreciated the education um, behind all of that. And as we understand, we're just turning more and more towards screens, how important it is to also turn away from screens. You bet. Uh, Really, really informative information that I think one of the things we talked about is taking the eyes for granted that we really can't be doing in any capacity, whether it's playing sports, kicking around, laughing, or just not taking that break and letting your eyes have a rest from your computer. I uh, really enjoyed our talk with our community reporter, uh, Julie Martin, who's in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. I think you should go back, take a listen. Um, she shared her experiences through Hurricane Fiona. Uh, a lot to take away from there with the experience, but also 
the community support, the community help, as she acknowledged uh, Walmart, other places, organizations that were there, and people helping people. Um, really, really wonderful chat. You could do that via the Kelly and Company podcast. Simply subscribe. We'd appreciate it if you would, and maybe give us a rating and review while you're in there. Paul Daniel, one of the producers over at Now at Day Brown, you can find that program, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, also available as a podcast. Paul, what's tomorrow's show shaping up to be all about? And welcome back. Hey, Kelly. Uh, tomorrow's show, uh, bullying is a social, a social ill that has received a lot of attention over the past few years, and rightly so. For the most part, though, society is focused on the emotional effects of bullying. We'll speak with Dr. Jennifer Fraser, author of a new book, The Bullied Brain, which analyzed the harmful neurological effects bullying can have on the brain. Shane Baker will talk about why men procrastinate when taking care of their health as they get older and what men can do to make, become more attentive to their health concerns. Journalist John Lapke recently had an article published in Teen Vogue magazine examining why people with disabilities are not more involved in politics as participants as the mm. municipal election approaches in Ontario uh, and around and around the country. The question of questions and barriers to representation on the political level you know, need to be raised, and mm. um, we'll be discussing it tomorrow. That's nice. That's a good conversation to encourage mm. people to get involved, to get in the know. Sure. Don't know about, as people get older, males, what is it? Is it that fear? You know, I don't want to know the bad yeah. news. Sure, I think so. I think, yeah, reluctant. I think so, yeah. That might, be, that might be it, too. I think we all feel that way sometimes. I, I think that's definitely, you know, um, one of the biggest concerns. And mm-hmm. as for bullying, and, and Rummy, I, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I've heard of bullying since I was a kid. You've heard of it. Paul has, uh, mm-hmm. it, no matter what. I, I find right now, because we have this online kind of stuff going on, it's ever so present and, and on our tongues. Yeah, online and just, you know, the microaggressions. Like, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. but we do we see it? Do we understand it? Do we give enough credit, if you will, to what can be um, seen or understood as bullying? It, it's And, you know, Paul, you recall it, but, we, it, you know, sometimes you stop and say, how much advertising are we doing of it? But you have to because you got to stop it. And the only way to stop it is sure. to talk about it. And that's hard. That's hard. Some yeah. people. It's embarrassing and it goes back to what we were saying about mm. is it possible men don't want to deal with and mm-hmm. seem or admit the getting older who wants to admit, you know, maybe that you're being terrorized by someone and yeah, you're not doing the wrong thing by admitting that and having help to deal with it. It's the person who thinks they can get away with that that's doing the wrong. Anyway, look forward to the great conversations tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. Paul, good evening. Take care. One of the producers over there, you can catch their show live on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning. Follow it up, too, in case you can't be with them live uh, to the podcast of the program as well available. And, Ramya, that calls it uh, for our show. Uh, Brock and you will be back here tomorrow gathered uh, to hold court and bring a lot of great subjects Mm -hmm. up. Yes, it's going to be a fun rest of the week. You enjoy your time off. Thank you. Uh, Bill Shackleton, he'll be here for The Buzz tomorrow. That's with uh, producer Bill Shackleton as he hosts that segment. Reporter. Grant Hardy shares the latest health headlines on the program tomorrow. With Canadian Thanksgiving just around the corner, Greg David shares what he's thankful for when it comes to television and entertainment. Ryan Delahante highlights Mackey's Mobile Studio, a Pictou County musician's initiative to reach artists with access barriers. Also on the show, let's talk money with certified financial planner Ryan Chin. He lets us know about RDSP Awareness Month. And Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession shares, exciting grocery store buys for every home cook. 
Show, as mentioned, gets underway at 2 p.m. tomorrow. The best to you folks. Fedora's off to you. We were talking the other day about going to the Royal Winter Fair, a few of us on the program, just off one of our meetings, and how much fun we had. We, we one time did a, a, well, we attempted to go and do some content, and things just didn't work out. Uh, Signal-wise was horrible for us, so we, we had a little bit of a learning curve with that one. So we recorded a bunch of content to use while we were there. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was how big the pumpkins were. I mean, these are pumpkins that if you loaded them on a, a big truck... And we're trying to maneuver any of them off. Could get you in a lot of trouble if you lost control of it. Now, obviously, people doing that kind of thing know what they're doing. And when they bring the award-winning pumpkin, the largest, the heaviest, whatever, uh, to the fair for judging, they know how to heck to bring it. These are people that deal with it all the time. It just amazes me the size. You know, I go to a place where there's pumpkins stretched out and you're going to buy one for a jack-o'-lantern or whatever. You know, you might say, oh, this is a pretty big one. But these are huge. Can't get my arms around them. And I'm a big guy squeezing a, a big pumpkin like that. You're looking at 14, 1,500 pounds of pumpkin with some of these. And it has amazed me. And I understand there's pumpkin races where people are getting into pumpkins and actually floating with them. I've heard of that out east particularly and around. It, but to think of the overall mammoth size and being a blind person, I, I you know, I haven't really been out in the country and had anyone pull off the road and let's go and uh, raid this field where these gigantic pumpkins are. Um, I, I don't know about the treatment of them. I've watched shows where they talk about growing these things and it's just incredible to see them for show like that, to be able to, to touch them. So I do find that kind of cool when you go to a, a fair or an event like that. Not all of them have that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I think they have often size or some kind of judging um, go on when it comes to um, the, the pumpkins and, and other gourds like that. But I always thought that was kind of cool and really amazing and never ceases to amaze me, especially with the work that's put into them nowadays to get them that big. <laughs> 